if you don't mind, to Psalm 77. Today, we are going to learn to lament together. This is not a word that we often use in our modern American vernacular, but it is a biblical term, a a biblical idea, to lament. We often think of this word, if we were forced to define it, as just being sorrowful. But the Psalms of Lament in the Psalter, which, of course, there are 150 of them, the Psalms of Lament comprise about a third of the 150 Psalms. That means that more than any other category of Psalms, the Psalms of Lament are by far the largest category. And that's interesting. I said to you at the outset of this summer series that we wanted to help you gain a voice to look at life in all of its various seasons. Seasons of happiness and gratitude when you're up. Seasons of despair and sorrow when you're down. To know how to turn to God whenever you are happy and therefore not become confident in yourselves and therefore become arrogant and prideful, and a voice for whenever you are very sorrowful, depressed, down, despairing, so that you don't turn within, which is just another form of pride, subtle though it may be. What I want us to do over the next few weeks, for we have taken the first few weeks of our time in the Psalms to introduce the Psalms to you from Psalm 1 and then to take the next three weeks and talk about our glorious God, our glorious God who has stooped to know his people and relates to them, our glorious God who is worthy to be made known to all the nations, our glorious God who is attentive to all of our needs for he is sovereign over all. There is purpose in the design of this series initially to introduce you to your great God once again. And now, having done so, we want to move into some time where we reflect upon our sorrow, our troubles. The very fact that a third of the Psalter, this beloved hymn book of the people of God now for millennia, the very fact that a third of those Psalms are dedicated to to the troubles of the soul is an indication that humanity is broken. It's an indication, brothers and sisters, that this world is not right. Do you ever feel yourself in a season of being basically up where things are going pretty well? No big stress at work, relationship with spouse is basically decent, you know, you're communicating pretty well, the kids aren't getting on your nerves too badly, health is okay, vacation's coming up maybe and you're looking forward to that, you've got, you got stuff you're anticipating that's good, your relationships with your friends are pretty pleasing. Do you ever fear yourself, even in the midst of pretty good times, waking up maybe in the morning and thinking, there's something wrong and I can't put my finger on it. 
And then you start going back through all the stuff of your life, all the, all the spheres of influence in your life. And even if you can't detect a problem in any of those spheres of influence, just having that nagging feeling in the back of your head, deep down in your heart, that something's not quite right. And even if you can't put your proverbial finger on it, you know that, that maybe something bad's coming. Now, there's probably a few of you who are relatively happy-go-lucky, and you don't really ever think like that. And whenever I describe that, you just think I'm being like a Debbie Downer. But some of you know what I'm feeling, probably, probably most of you. Just that nagging feeling that, that things aren't quite right here. One of the reasons we feel that way is because most of us have been through significant trial. Stretching all the way back to our childhood, to young adulthood, and then throughout years of marriage and relationship, we have known periods of deep darkness. And if we're being honest, those periods of darkness, whether we were young or even older, leave scars. Scars of remembrance. We don't like to be in those dark days. We don't like to feel that pain. And the scars are a reminder of what has passed. And in some ways, they are a nagging reminder of what probably is still to come. Because of sin, invading this world, bringing its evil curse to permeate the heart's of all men and women that have ever lived, this place is not quite right. We are not properly, when it's all said and done, related to our Creator. Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall had perfect relationship with God and with one another and with the environment. There was no fear. There wasn't even a category for fear. But as soon as the first sin was committed, their eyes were darkened, their hearts became like stone, and they plunged the race into that nagging notion and sometimes a full-faced reality that things just aren't right here. But God didn't leave it that way. And that's what the Psalms of Lament are all about. A recognition... An honest confession that that we're not right. A confession that, that this world isn't right. And especially when the trials are piling on. And we feel like we are pressed in on every side and we are at the end of our rope. Yet there is hope. We began with psalms of glory over the past few weeks to be reminded of who our great God is, so that now we can turn to these psalms of lament to to learn how to deal with these feelings of being crushed, of being desperate, of being sorrowful. The difference between grumbling and lamenting in the psalms and truly throughout the rest of the scriptures is that instead of grumbling and turning inward, looking to ourselves for the remedy, The Psalms of Lament always turn back to God. And therefore, they give us a voice to cry out, to be honest about our feelings of 
faithlessness, abandonment, despair, anger, oppression, and so many more things. And yet they always turn back to God. These these are the prayers of the people of God, giving a voice to them when they feel like they don't have one. And Psalm 77 can be used as a lament individually or corporately. We will look at it in both categories. And then when we're finished today, as we close, we will use this psalm, Psalm 77, to pray. And I will hopefully lead you in that as an example of how to use this in your private time with God. It has been said that our feelings of despair, our feelings of depression, sadness, being pressed in on every side, being being abandoned perhaps even by those around us, and even by God, that those feelings are real. In other words, you can really feel depressed. You can really feel sad. You can really feel lonely, abandoned. But all at once, the Psalms of Lament take those real feelings and lift our eyes to what is really true. So we live in tension. We live in a tension between what we feel. Feelings of sadness, of despair are real. And yet there is a greater, grander, abiding truth. And that is that even whenever you feel abandoned, you're not. Even whenever you feel there is nowhere to turn, there is. Even whenever you feel like you are all alone, you are not. The Psalms of Lament, including this one that we will consider together today, puts before us the tension, real feelings, but pointing us to grander, abiding truths. So let's read it together, and we'll take some time to outline it simply and apply it to our hearts. Psalm 77. To the choir master, according to Jedithan, a psalm of Asaph. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Selah. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders You have made known your might among the peoples. 
You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Selah. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is the word of the Lord. The first thing I want us to see today is that we always have access to our God. The Psalms of Lament typically follow a four-part pattern. The first part is an appeal, an appeal to God. And so Asaph does that here in verse 1. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and He will hear me. This is rhetorical. You don't have to participate bodily. But have you ever cried out to God like out loud? You probably don't do that when people are around because they'll think you're a lunatic. But, but when you're alone, maybe outside somewhere all alone or maybe in your house all alone or in your car, you ever get to the point where, where you're so desperate that you just cry out to God? Not on my behalf, but on behalf of our brother Paul Chandler. He texted me on Tuesday, I think. Most of you know Paul's situation. Paul's been sick for a long time. He's had terrible chronic headaches for a long time. And he texted me, I think, Tuesday morning, and he said, my surgery has been postponed indefinitely. He's been waiting on this follow-up surgery for a long time. A surgery which he initially had, and then the insert, the battery pack that controls the probes that go into his head that control the headaches, um, he developed an infection, had to have that taken out entirely. He's been waiting on the, the, the re-implant, and finally it was supposed to be Thursday. But somehow there had been a, an insurance issue, and they, they totally shut it down. And, and he texted me, and he said, I, I'm so low, I'm so down, I, I don't know what to do. And so I was leaving Panera, I was meeting with somebody, because that's like my other office. And as I was leaving, I, I just cried out to God, like, why would you do this to him? I don't get it. Now, by God's grace, it got rescheduled really quickly, which never happens in our healthcare system, and he has surgery Friday. God heard our prayers. But but sometimes you get to that point where you just don't understand. You're, You're at the end of your rope, and you just cry out to God. Last night, I was watering some grass in my yard, which is being baked no end by the sun. And next to my air conditioning unit, there was a little juvenile robin. It wasn't like the little tiny ones that are in the nest. It probably had gotten out of the nest just before it was really able to fly. And it blended in really well with my green and somewhat brown grass. And I I would have missed it had I not noticed it. In fact, I had to glance twice. But it was as still as it could be, to the point that I wasn't even sure it was alive. You know what little birds are like when they're in the nest with their mother? If you have one perhaps near a window in your house, you can hear it chirping all the time. This little robin was not doing that. This little robin was, was scared to death. And when I went to turn my spigot on, it 
kind of hopped under my desk. I assume it's probably not going to make it. It got out too soon. Its parents are probably not going to care for it anymore. And it's scared to death and it's not making a noise. That is not how we are to be. But sometimes we get like that. We get to the point that we stop talking to God. We stop crying out to God. We've already talked some about that today, prayed some about that. There's lots of reasons for that. We don't see him. We can't touch him. We can't hear his voice. Often he seems to have disappointed us in the past. And in pride, we have learned to rely upon ourselves. Rather than crying out to God, we just grind it out. We work harder, stay up longer, think harder, look for remedies from people or other resources. Asaph got to the point in his journey with God that he learned that God was his only resource and God would always hear him. And so he cried out. As much as you don't like to, when your children cry out, you go meet their needs. Because you're a good parent. You care for them. You love them. But we are imperfect. We're selfish. Often we don't want to run to our little ones when they have desperate needs. But we keep doing it. And that's why they keep calling out. Frustrating though it often is. Our little boys, our little girls have access to us and they know it. How much more do the children of God who have a perfect father, who's never weary, who's never irritated, who knows before you ask, how much more does he hear you and delight in hearing you? Asaph cried aloud, and just to make it clear, he repeats it in the second line. And his confidence, his security, is that God hear. So that's the first movement in the Psalms of Lament, an address to God. The second movement is this idea that he can handle our feelings of despair. So the second movement in the Psalms of Lament is complaint. So address, number one. Complaint number two. So in front of you, we know we always have access to our God. And secondly, our complaint. We know that he can handle our feelings of despair. Asaph was troubled in the day, verse 2. And Asaph was troubled in the night. In fact, Asaph was so troubled that day and night bled together both literally and metaphorically, and he couldn't sleep. He was so burdened that he couldn't even catch some rest. Most of us have been there at one time or another. God gave me, in his wisdom and goodness, a job that's pretty serious, a job that's often filled with very serious issues. And there are times at night when I'm considering those very serious issues and I just can't sleep. Some of you lose sleep over your relationship with your spouse, your grown children perhaps who are not walking with God, job stress, fear over sickness, or just the general unknown ahead. 
And for a lot of us, though there can be physical reasons why we can't sleep, for a lot of us, it's just emotional. Our brains can't turn off. And if nothing else, perhaps, and I'm not broad brushing this, but just making a general statement, if nothing else, perhaps this is an indication that we rely upon ourselves far too much, that we forget the first movement in the lament, to talk to God first. But even if we're doing that, as we find ourselves in the midst of our trials, we often just can't sleep. Asaph could not close his eyes and catch rest. Asaph became so troubled that he couldn't even talk. Some of us have gotten to that point. That whenever we find ourselves in those periods of great burden, that we just really don't want to talk to anybody. There there seems to be nothing left to say. We know the truths in our head. We've, We've read the verses People have told us what's true. They've, they've given us their little cliched platitudes. And then we just sort of stare at them. There's nothing seemingly left to say. Asaph in verse 5 tries to force himself to remember better days. Days where he was happy. Days where he was content but he can't seem to get back there. He, he can't recapture that feeling of what it was like to feel safe, of what it was like to feel secure. When the days of faith prevailed, he can't get back to that seemingly in verse 6. And it gets to the point in verse 7 where he feels like God has completely rejected him. And in verse 8, he asks himself the question, I know God is supposed to be full of steadfast love. I know He always keeps His promises. Verse 9, I know that He's full of grace, but it sure doesn't feel like it. In fact, I'm so confused over my situation. Is there some sin that I haven't confessed? Is He punishing me? There's difficulty here, verse 9. Sometimes our trials are brought upon by our own sin. In fact, the book of Hebrews tells us in chapter 12 that God disciplines His children. Practically speaking, if that is one of your questions whenever you are troubled, whenever you are in deep periods of darkness, this is something you should get some help with. The nagging question that perhaps God is angry with you and punishing you, it is really difficult in your periods of despair to reason your way through that. So what should you do? Invite somebody into the conversation. Lay out your case before them. I encourage you to not pick somebody else who is also currently in a season of despair. Find someone who looks basically happy. But invite them in. Lay out the case. Ask them to help you. It may well be that God is disciplining you. It may well be that you have spurned Him and turned to other things. And in His care for you, which seems ironic, He is punishing you. Hebrews 12 goes on to say that God disciplines every son that He receives because He loves us. 
And if your period of trial and despair is because of sin, your brother or sister may well help you to discern that. But often it's not the case. And your brother or sister can help you discern that too. Often it's not the case that we are in periods of of deep trial because of our sin. Now, let's be honest, we always sin. We sin all the time, and we live in a sinful world. But but our period of despair, our season of, of being so desperate and burdened, may not be because of a specific sin. It may just be because this world is yet sinful and not perfectly right. In those moments, rather than trying to figure out why God is punishing you, perhaps you have to get to the point that you realize that this is just a season of being very down. Now, sometimes we can put our finger on why we're down. If we feel estranged from our spouse, we we can diagnose that. If our anger has taken hold and we've been harsh with our children or our friends we feel guilty for that, we can diagnose that. Sometimes the the emotional despair can be physically caused, hormonal, and good physicians who care for us can, can help us with that. But sometimes it's nebulous. Sometimes we we can't quite put our finger on it. I have days like that. I'll wake up, everything's going pretty well. Whitney and I are getting along. I'm treating the kids basically well. None of you are really mad at me. I mean, everything's going pretty well. And yet, I just feel down. And I don't know what caused it. And then sometimes in 24 hours, it's just gone. And I don't know how to explain that. And I go with all that to say that there's various reasons why we feel this way. The feelings are real. One of the beautiful things about the Psalms of Lament, including this one, is that God is okay with us saying it out loud. He's okay with you saying these things. Sometimes I think that verses 2 through 9 can feel a little bit blasphemous, a little bit presumptuous. Like, Like these are the things that people who don't have much faith say. These are the things that that people say when they don't really know God that well. These are are the things the messed up people say. I think in our evangelical churches, we lead people to that conclusion. You come in, the worship leader whips you up into frenzy and says, everybody up on their feet and clap your hands and raise your hands in the air. and We're going to talk about how great God is. And you're thinking to yourself, that's the last thing I want to do, but I don't want to look like an absolute fool, so I'm going to do it too. But inside, you know you're lying. Then you have a great prayer about how God's so good and how we're so great, and there's a great pep talk and sort of passes itself off as a sermon from the Bible. And then you walk out, and you're thinking, I guess I should feel pretty happy because everybody else was you know, happy around me. And then you leave, and you're like, I just really don't. And it just leads you to further despair. It creates sort of a spiritual schizophrenia where you should feel this way, you think, but you really feel this way. And then you're torn. But I think the reality is, after having done this for a while, that most people who you see pretending around you, they feel the same way. They feel split in two. 
Which is why the Psalms of Lament should have a place in our corporate worship. It's why our songs, the things that we sing, should give us room to say what we really feel. I don't feel happy. I don't feel full of faith. I don't feel passionate for God's glory. My lust is strong. My idolatry is overwhelming. Sometimes God doesn't thrill me. I'm sad. I'm angry. I'm lonely. We need to be able to say those things out loud. And surprise, surprise, the Word of God gives us a voice for all those feelings. And though we know we should be happy in God, and and though we often aren't, that is to say, we will always feel a little bit split in two. The truth is, these psalms are given to us to help heal us. Now, the healing does not come overnight. The healing, brothers and sisters, is incremental. And it will not be complete until the end, when God makes all things new. But this psalm and so many more give a voice to us whenever we are low and allows us to be very honest with God. Asaph was honest with God and we can be honest. Now, let me give you a practical little point. If you're going to help people, if you're going to be one of those brothers or sisters that is brought in to help somebody in the midst of their despair, you are going to have to let people talk. You're going to have to let them just kind of spew sometimes. And you don't have to, in the midst of their spewing, correct every misstatement. You don't have to, in the midst of their painful pouring out of all their feelings, correct them every single moment whenever they say something they shouldn't. God doesn't. But it doesn't end here. The third point is this. We must turn to him as the remedy to our trouble. So here's the third movement. Address to God. Complaint to God. Turning to him. There's a request. So address, complaint, request. What's the request? Asaph gives it in verse 10. I will appeal to this, to the ears of the right hand of the Most High. I think this is where Job failed. Job couldn't discern, he couldn't understand why he was undergoing the trials he was undergoing. But he never quite got to the point that he made the request and then the fourth movement, which we'll see in just a moment. We must turn to him as the remedy to our trouble. The problem with most of us is that we are basically curved inward. It's kind of a, a, a spiritual turning in. It, it's, it's like a spiritual curvature of the spine that causes us to gaze inward. Whenever we find ourselves in the midst of the trouble, it, it feels like a good idea to turn in. In some ways, that shuts the world out. We don't want the voices, whether good or bad. And we can turn inward and sort of come into this sort of proverbial cocoon where nobody can damage us. 
But if we're being honest, that never works. I assume that Asaph many times in his life tried that. But Asaph got to the point in faith that he turned to God as the remedy to his trouble. What does he say about God? He appeals to the Most High. He's the King of the universe. And why does he talk about the years of his right hand? Because all of God's works on behalf of his people are trustworthy. That's the point. God has an historical record of faithfulness. So Asaph is joining two thoughts together. He's the potentate, the emperor of the entire universe, and his track record is faithfulness. This means that the powerful God of all time is your benefactor. He cares for you. Asaph's natural tendency would be to turn within. He learned by faith, and I'm sure through much trial and error, to turn his face upward. So we have address, complaint, and we have a request. He looks to God and says, you have to fix this. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to Psalm 139. David, who wrote half of the Psalms, says in verses 13 through 16, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. I'm theologically picky, if you've been around here a while. Most of us are. We care deeply about truth. One of the things that really drives me crazy, though it might seem like a small thing, is when I hear somebody say, God is writing your story. We have the verb tense wrong. God has written our story. Now, each page that is being turned is new to you, but it has already been written. This means that nothing ever happens to you that he is not in control of. Now, that doesn't mean that people don't sin against you, because that's one of the first questions that's probably just popped into your head, and naturally so. People do bad things. And yet, God takes the bad and over time heals the pain and brings good from it. Brothers and sisters, your story is written. It is not left up to chance. And even if you've been a bad sinner, even if your track record is to turn inward in your spiritual conversion, you know, because God's word says so, that he is attentive to you and he's already written your story and you can trust him. It's a good story. It has a happy ending.
Now, you might be in some chapters of the story that feel incredibly dark right now. You might really feel alone. But I've already said to you today that this psalm and the other psalms of lament hold in tension these two truths. That we really feel these things. And yet there's a deeper and more abiding truth. And that is that despite the way we feel, he will never abandon us. Your story will end well, even if you're in the midst of the deepest and darkest part of it. The fourth movement of the Psalms of Lament is this. We must turn to him as the remedy to our trouble. That's the request. And the fourth thing is to remember. That is to exercise faith. So, we must remember his faithful character and works as the foundation for our faith. So, just to review, here's the four movements of the Psalms of Lament. Address, complaint, request, and then stating our faith. That is to say, turning back to God. What does Asaph do in verses 11 through 20? He rehearses the works of God. He will remember the deeds of the Lord, his wonders of old. And notice verse 12, I will ponder all your work. This would be a good argument for trying to make your way through the Bible relatively consistently. I say to you all the time that spending time in the Word of God, though it often feels like a legalistic burden, is the most rational thing that you can do. You need to know all the works of God. You need to know that He powerfully created. You need to know that He gave His people laws. You need to know, despite the fact that they broke them, he still showed them mercy. You need to know that he never breaks his promises. You need to know that he rescues his people out of pits. You need to know that he takes care of them in the midst of the desert. You need to know that he forgives when they are generationally wicked. You need to know that when he gave you his son, it was a promise that he will withhold nothing good that you need. You need to know all of that. And you need to know that the story is going to wrap up. That the heavenly and perfect city is coming. There'll be no more night, no more pain, no more tears. It's coming. You need to know all of that. Asaph was a man of the word. He was committed to the scriptures. Not so he could merely be a leader in Israel, but because his heart needed it. And so I say to you, call out to God. Give him all of your honest complaints. Make your request and then build your faith. Build your faith for what is coming. And so I say to you, if you are not in the midst of a series of lament today, a season of lament today, tuck this away. Put this in your library of thought. So that when the the season comes, the season of despair and sorrow, you can pull that book off the shelf and know what to do. I'll say just a couple more things before we close. Specifically, verse 15, Asaph recalls how God rescued the people of Israel. How he took their offspring and brought them out of captivity. In verse 16, He took them through the Red Sea. And the beauty of this is in verse 19. 
that despite the fact they could not see him, his footprints were there, metaphorically speaking, parting the waters and granting them deliverance like a good shepherd always does. So, it is easy to trust in people because you see them. What you learn over time once you become a grown-up is that even the best people will disappoint you. Your dad will. Your mom will. Tragically, your friends will. Your elders will. And that can set you spinning. That can send you reeling. It is so easy to trust our five senses. But what did the people of Israel learn? That though they could not see God physically, He was always leading them. He was their good shepherd. Israel sometimes felt abandoned, and therefore Asaph gave them a voice. We, as the people of God, often feel abandoned. But I will say to you as we close today, you will never be abandoned. Turn with me to Matthew 27. Jesus, our Savior here in Matthew 27, has been nailed to the cross. From the sixth hour at noon to the ninth hour at 3 p.m., there was darkness over all the land, signifying God's wrath was being poured out on the Son of God. At about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Turn with me if you don't, or look with me if you don't mind in verse 51. Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And this follows verse 50. So when was the curtain torn? When, in verse 50, Jesus cried out, gave up his spirit, and died. What was the result? Verse 51, the curtain in the temple which separated the people from God's holy place was torn in two. Jesus was forsaken by God so that we will know forever that we never will be. You have to read Psalm 77 in light of Jesus Christ. Asaph often felt abandoned, and so he addressed God. He gave his complaint, and he made a request, and then he remembered God's word. He rehearsed what was true. He built upon his foundation of faith. But the greatest act of God's grace, his best work ever, is that he gave us his son. Jesus felt true abandonment for a moment in history. And he did that so that when we feel abandoned, despite how we feel, we know what is true. We never will be. Because he took the abandonment for us. And now, Hebrews 2, Surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham, men and women like you and me. Therefore, 
He had to be make like his, made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Or because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus knows what it's like to struggle. Jesus knows what it's like to be abandoned by God. And he took it for you to help you, to save you, to rescue you. Hebrews 4. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw nearer to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Despite our tendency to to turn inward, to trust ourselves, to despair, the Word of God calls us to cry out, to look up, and to trust. And as Psalm 77 ends, there's a promise that God will shepherd His people. And it is not ironic at all that the Lamb of God is also the shepherd of the people of God. We hear His voice, and we can trust Him, and we must follow Him. So we address God. We always have access to Him. We give our complaint. He can handle our feelings of despair. We make a request. We must return to Him as the remedy to our trouble. We build upon the foundation of our faith, the fourth movement of the lament. We must remember his faithful character and works as the foundation for our faith. Your feelings of despair are real, but there is a deeper and abiding truth that your God is always with you, he is always for you, and he will shepherd you. His footprints are before you. He will never let you go. Let's pray. Psalm 77 as a model back to God. And then we'll sing. Oh God, we cry aloud to you now. We cry aloud for those who are hurting with the knowledge that one day soon it might be us. We know that you hear us. Lord God, some of us are in trouble. Our days And our nights are filled with trouble, and we moan. We moan for loneliness. We moan for fear. We moan for unmet expectations. We moan because we cannot control the future. For some of us, Lord, we can't even sleep well. Our hearts are so overburdened with the cares of life that we can't even rest. Lord, there have been days in the past where we were so very happy. Days when when life seemed to be going well and we don't understand why you withhold that from us. Will you forever be distant? Will you forever withhold your favor and steadfast love for us? Your word tells us that you're full of grace, but often we don't feel it. Are you angry with us for sin? Are you angry with this world and we are caught up in it? But Lord, despite how we feel, 
We turn to you for we have no other resource. And so we make a request. You who are the Most High, who control all things, who sustains every movement of the universe, we cry out to you as the one who sees and cares for your people. Your record is perfect. And so we build upon our faith by remembering your deeds of old. Your word is a compendium. It's a library of life-giving truth. There is no one like you. You are unique in character, and you love your people. You are strong and powerful, and you have always watched over us. You created all things, bringing order out of chaos, and you deliver your people through storms and trials when enemies and everything else presses in upon us. And in the past, and even in our own experience, when we felt like we were about to be crushed, you gave us a way through. You shepherded us like you always have. So because you are the king of the universe who has never, ever failed your people, we rely upon you now to not fail us. And while we await the perfection of all things, take care of our bodies, take care of our minds, and take care of our hearts for your glory and for the joy of your people, we pray. Amen.